Good morning. It is good to see you all. And uh, thank you so much for all your prayers and your support as we awaited and then received the gift of Hosanna. Um, so we're grateful to have her here today. And glad for another little girl in our family. We are looking at Acts chapter 28. So this is continuing. Our, we're near the end of our series here in Acts. Um, Acts chapter 28, the last chapter here, beginning at verse 1. We'll read through verse 10. This is page 937, if you're using the Bibles here. Acts chapter 28. Let's begin with prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this time to hear from you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless us with your word. Lord, that there might not be a famine of hearing and of speaking the word of God here in our midst. Lord, we know we need your spirit to be led into the truth, and we ask that he would be with us. Lord, he would guide us as we listen, guide me as I speak. And Lord, may we grow in our love for our Savior and our understanding of the grace that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. And just to remind you, uh, Paul and his friends have been on a journey to Rome. Paul is a prisoner. He's on his way to Rome. It has been full of adventure. And there's another adventure here in store for them as they have just been shipwrecked and are now on an, uh, what to them is an unknown island. And that's where we pick up his story here at verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Why? Well, heard an incredible story recently about a boy named Kevin who was serving as uh, a, a bat boy for his brother's little league baseball team when he was accidentally hit with a bat. And he fell to the ground unconscious and his heart stopped beating. 
Well, thankfully, a nurse named Penny happened to be at the game there, and she was able to revive Kevin. And the story goes that seven years later, that same nurse, Penny, was eating dinner at a restaurant when she began to choke on her food. Uh, people around her began screaming for help, and one of the restaurant employees ran out from the back of the restaurant and wrapped his arms around her and applied the Heimlich maneuver. And he saved her life. Well, it turns out that the restaurant employee was Kevin, the same boy that Penny had saved years before. This is a story of grace that in God's providence flows both ways, right? Penny saves Kevin, Kevin saves Penny. And we see this in our text today as well. When Paul and his friends arrive in Malta, they receive grace from the islanders, and they have the opportunity to give grace back. But something I want you to see about this text is that while grace is seen on Malta, grace is also missing. Uh, humans have a tendency to miss grace, and so we need to be reminded of the true Depths of the grace of Jesus Christ. God's grace is how the Christian life begins. It's how it is sustained. We cannot afford to miss grace. So we begin with my first point here. Grace on Malta. Grace on Malta. Now, just to give you guys a quick visual here, Jed is going to pull up my map for us, and you'll get, and I don't have my laser pointer today, but hopefully you can see it relatively well. Their journey, and we've already been through much of it already, they were at Crete, and they took that uh, terrible ride through the storm, 14 days from the outside of Crete there, right in the middle of the map, um, and eventually landing there in Malta. On the 15th, they're shipwrecked on a reef outside of Malta. They barely make it to land. Their, their ship is destroyed. And, you know, you and I, from the map, we can actually see that this storm ended up driving them basically closer to where they want to be. They want to get to Rome. So they went pretty much the right direction. Um, but realize they, they don't know that until they get to the shore and they, they speak to these inhabitants. They have no idea where they are, what island, or even if it's an island, what they've landed on. And as they pull themselves out of the water, remember they swam, or if they couldn't swim, they drifted on grabbing onto some driftwood. They don't have a boat. It is cold, and it begins to rain. They, they haven't slept for days. They've nothing except their soggy clothes. They've no idea where they are. Maybe they've been scraped up on the reef and banged around by the surf, and it begins to rain, and it's cold. But as they wipe the, the sea foam and the salt from their eyes, they see friendly islanders building them a roaring fire. And, and I can hardly imagine building a fire without proceeding to some sort of hot drinks and roasting meat, something of that nature, hopefully. Uh, Luke writes in verse 2 that the people showed us an unusual kindness. He, he did not view this as typical. It was unusual. And they welcomed us. There is grace. 
here on Malta. Not, not saving grace, right? How we typically often as Christians speak of grace. But still, it's grace. It's kindness that is refreshing. That's unexpected. That's not paid for. Jed, you can take down my map now. Thank you. Malta's hospitality it really sticks out here in this text. It's a short little account, only 10 verses. But three times the kindness of the people is mentioned right there at the beginning. Verse 2, what we already saw. And then down in, in verse 7, where the chief man of the island receives them hospitably. And then again in verse 10, when the people of the island honor them greatly. They put on board whatever provisions they need. I sort of imagine Luke and Paul and Aristarchus when they get to Rome sort of reflecting on their journey and all the different people they met and places they've been and remembering Malta. You know, those, they knew hospitality in Malta. Those were some really kind people. That seems to be one of the things that stuck out even to Luke as he wrote this account. They're not fellow Christians or Jews, uh, except for the chief man. They're probably not even Romans. And yet they're gracious. Some of you may be reminded of unbelieving friends or neighbors who are truly kind people. Maybe you have family members like this who've been very gracious to you. And maybe this has been a little confusing to you. We need to recognize that the world is not utterly estranged to grace. We are all made in God's image in distorted but true ways, all people continue to reflect aspects of God's character, even those that Scripture says are dead in their sins. Scripture teaches that unbelievers left to their own would fall into utter wickedness, but they don't. Why? God holds them back, it's an act of grace. God gives a type of grace to all people, you know. It's not saving grace. We call it common grace because it's common to all the world, to all people. God is at work in all people. Here in Acts, he's at work in these Maltese islanders so that when Paul and his friends, they wash up on the shores, they're greeted by unusual kindness. He restrains people from doing all the wickedness they would otherwise do, and he, he presses in on their stony hearts the imprint of his law and his creativity, which flows out in deeds that are good and beautiful. They can never be truly good things because they aren't done for God's glory. But this common grace does mean that in this world, though it is, is clearly broken, it needs renewal, we can still experience joy and beauty. Let me apply this for you. This is a key point. If, if you don't understand this common grace, then you might find yourself confused when you run into non-Christians who are incredibly kind and gracious and intelligent and and create beautiful and interesting things. But if you recognize that their goodness is actually the result of God's goodness to them and to you through his common grace, then these people will be just another reason for you to glorify the Lord for his grace. It's a chance for you to recognize God's 
power and presence in the world around you. But there's something missing about the grace Paul and his friends run into on Malta. The islanders, despite their kindness, they're missing something really important. And we see it in their reaction to the whole Viper episode. So let's turn to my second point, missing grace. The islanders get their first hint that something's a little bit off, a little bit different about these people when a viper latches onto Paul's arm and, and apparently bites him. Their interpretation of the event in verse 4 is, uh, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So he escaped from the sea. The god of the sea was Neptune, or Poseidon would be the Greek name for it. But he can escape the goddess of justice, Dike. That's her, her name. That's the Greek word used here in the text. And their interpretation tells us how they view the gods, right? They're just, at least one of them, the goddess of justice, is just. And, you know, if something bad happens to someone then they must have done something bad. But when Paul does not keel over and swell up or die, they're all watching him waiting, where do they go next? Well, he must be a god. But why couldn't the gods just have shown mercy to him? Because the gods are not gracious. They do not offer grace to murderers. This guy hasn't died. He must be a god himself. That's the only option. Their understanding of how the world works is purely works-based. Good people generally have good things happen to them. Bad people generally have bad things. That's how things work. These islanders, they're not alone in their belief. This belief is the natural human tendency. Uh, Philip Yancey tells the story of a British conference on comparative religions where a bunch of experts were debating what belief, if any, was unique to Christianity. And after they had all sort of eliminated a few possibilities, C.S. Lewis wanders into the room and asks what's going on. This is a true story. He wanders in and asks them what's going on, and the scholars explain, and he says, well, that's easy. It's grace, which they all end up agreeing on. And Yancey writes, The notion of God's love coming to us, free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. You see, humans are drawn to work-centered religion like a great black hole constantly sucking us into its orbit. And so even when we know God's grace, when it is preached to us, we find ways to skirt around it, to cheapen it a little bit, to find little areas for our works to count. Again and again, we pull away from wholehearted dependence on God's grace. And the confusion of these gracious islanders 
from Malta is just one more reminder to us not to lose sight of the glory of God's grace. His gift of faith is a gift of faith and redemption. These islanders know nothing of divine grace. It's sad. Sometimes the gods are just, sometimes they're just fickle and selfish, but they're not gracious. Consider our friend Paul for a second here. They assume he's a murderer. And if you were to ask Paul whether he was a murderer, what do you think he would say? I think he would say yes. He would view himself as responsible for the death of Stephen, the blood of Stephen. He even refers to it earlier on in Acts. And others whose deaths he approved back when he hated Jesus. And yet, what happens to Paul? He is not destroyed by the serpent. He is victorious over the serpent, we might say. He shakes the serpent off into the fire. How does Paul, the murderer, the worst of all sinners, he calls himself, defeat this serpent? God shows him grace. And what, dear friends, is the clearest Evidence of God's grace for his people. Jesus Christ, his only son, struck down by the serpent, draining the bitter poisonous cup to the full, but rising in victory and casting the serpent into the flames of hell. Because of that grace, Paul and you and me need not bear the viper's Poison. Christ's victory over the serpent is our victory. This victory given to us unconditionally, that's God's grace. And what a beautiful calling we get as Christians to point others to this grace. These dear islanders from Malta, unusually kind, but missing this critical truth about God. And how many of you may be struggling yourselves this morning to accept the Lord's grace? Now, you might prefer to follow some sort of six-fold path because it doesn't take you quite so low. It doesn't make your helplessness quite so clear. Come and meet the God who gives murderers grace. Not because he ignores justice, but because he took the penalty of justice upon himself. It is a great and wondrous calling to tell the world about this grace. Now, we get to see this grace at work in Paul at the end of this story, so let's look briefly at my third point, grace in Paul. Just like we saw grace in the islanders, we see grace at work in Paul. I mean, how many of the shipwrecked people are out there in their soggy clothes, collecting sticks when they first arrive on this island like Paul was. I think about Paul's care for his fellow shipmates throughout this entire trip. Jonathan referred to him last week as sort of making himself the, uh, the chaplain for the boat. Right, remember, he, he came on board as a prisoner, but 
He is, you know, he advises the ship's captain. He advises the centurion. He gives little pep talks to the crew, gathers everybody, gives them pep. I mean, he gives them better than a pep talk. He gives them God's promise of deliverance. He convinces people to eat. How practical but important. He, he prays for them. Paul is not holed up in his own little corner of the boat, trying to keep as far away from these dirty heathens as he can. He cares for them. He serves them. He loves them. Paul gives us an example of the impact that a Christian who takes their calling seriously can make on those around them. Maybe some of you have examples like this in your own life. Christians you look up to who radiate grace, kindness, self-control, no matter where they go, when they travel, in their workplaces. When stressful things happen, they don't panic the way everyone around them does. When something bad happens, they they don't wallow in self-pity and anger, but they express hope in what God will do through their suffering, their sorrow. These examples are not out of reach for you. The grace of Jesus Christ changes people. Embrace the things that he tells you will change you. The ways that he pours his grace into your life. He he does this through the reading and the preaching of God's word. He does this through thoughtful participation in the sacraments of baptism, the Lord's Supper, through prayer, all applied by his Holy Spirit to your life. And as we are filled with the Lord's grace, rivers of living water flow out of us to those around us. We are connected to the great source of all grace himself. We're not limited to our own pitiful reserves of kindness. We're like branches grafted into the vine that receive a life-giving flow of nutrients and are able to produce then fruit that blesses those around us. But notice the difference between the kindness of Malta and the kindness of Paul here at the end of the text. They give him hospitality, and it's kind. But what does Paul do? He heals broken bodies. He rolls back the curse of sin. He fixes things that no kindness, no extreme level of hospitality could ever fix. Well, he's, he's just the ambassador, right? The, the power comes from above. He prays, verse 8, before he heals the father of Publius to show that the grace about to be on display is from above, not from him. Remember what the believers had prayed back in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. I think this is a key verse in Acts. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your, your holy servant, Jesus. Through the name of Jesus, that is what we have that unbelievers do not have. We can offer people grace in the name of of Jesus, And it is only the grace of Jesus that can fix the broken, stony hearts of this world. We can be kind to people till we are blue in the face, but we cannot bring them redemption. 
but Jesus can. And we are stewards of his grace, offering it freely to all who will listen. We're not apostles like Paul. We can't offer people physical healing, but we can offer them a miracle. In the name of Christ, we can offer them new life. Christian, you are not the only ones in this world who understands the idea of grace. You will meet people like those people on Malta, but you are the only ones who understand God's grace, which is the only thing that can truly fix a broken heart. And in the name of Christ, it is gifted to you to proclaim this grace to all people. And there is no kindness they need more than to know God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we want to know your grace more. We know, Lord, that you pour it out upon us through Christ. The gift of faith and redemption. And we could, Lord... Think about all that that redemption means for a long time. And you're grateful that you call us out of our sin and blindness and you show us the truth. And Lord, through your grace, you continue to sustain us, to grow us, to give us strength to be people who love you, who love your law, who love each other, Lord, and who show grace to those around us, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to just show kindness. We want to show the grace of Jesus Christ, your grace that changes hearts, that changes people. Lord, the gift of salvation that only you can offer. And Lord, that you make us ambassadors, those who are called to speak of this grace to those around us. We pray that you would give us strength to be faithful in this task. And Lord, may we rejoice in seeing your grace at work. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a final hymn together. Hymn number 197. Comfort, comfort, ye my.